Hello and welcome to the Broadcast Tech Talks podcast. My name is Jake Bickerton and I'm the Editorial Director of Broadcast Tech. The Broadcast Tech Talks podcast shines the spotlights on creative uses of technology in the broadcast industry. On today's Broadcast Tech Talks podcast is the full recording of a session from the recent AI Creative Summit at BFI Southbank, London. The session is called The Business of AI, Tools of the Trade and features speakers from Formula E, ITV, Newsbridge, Bailey AI Film Company and My Reality. I'm Connor Flynn. I work at uh, Formula E, which is an FIA World Championship single-seater all-electric racing series. Um, And I work in the business intelligence team, so I'm a senior insight manager. And my role is to provide research and insights to all of our teams and partners what that involves, and from a, from a broad, broadcast perspective, there's many areas we use AI and machine learning, but specifically on the broadcast side, it's more about the implementation, first of all, and then analysis. And what I mean by that is that we're putting in um, telemetry and data within our broadcast using AI, and then we're analyzing it using machine learning, detecting logos and things like that, which I'll go into more detail in a moment. Sounds okay. great, Asa. Um, hi, I'm Asa, Asa Bailey and I come from a background in fiction and in direction. Um, I work with, mainly with the studios, mainly with like the likes of Netflix and Apple, and, um, and, and my business takes these technologies on set. So I'm a bit of an on-set um, production guy, but now I um, have founded and built a company called Fiction GPT, which is um, actually uh, built around the um, open AI sort of chat GPT, which we'll get into talking about, I'm sure. Um, yeah, and that's, that's really me. Morning, everybody. I'm Sanjeev Mbala. So I'm the Chief Data and AI Officer at ITV. Uh, so ITV, broadly, in terms of how we're thinking about this, is the application of AI and data across our entire value chain. So we produce content. Uh, We promote that content or we sell it to other studios and other uh, broadcasters, rather. Uh, We then uh, distribute it and then we monetize it. So it's really very much how we use uh, data and AI across that entire value chain. Thank you. Hi, I'm Philippe Petitpont. I'm co-founder and CEO of Newsbridge. So at Newsbridge, we are operating for customers that are working in entertainment, sports, and news. And basically, the the, the problem uh, that we're solving for them is that today, Building video is a very long process. It's about sourcing and what is the best shot that will tell the story. It's about editing and about publishing, making sure that uh, the audience will find the video. We've developed a Gen AI called MXT1. It's a multimodal AI that is able to understand what's inside videos. So it's what we call video understanding. So we can apply video understanding over a massive amount of content so that we can reduce by 75% the time taken to build videos in a way, in a very, very fast way. That's great. So now that everybody knows a little bit more about you, can you go into more detail about what you're doing and um, sort of real world, if possible, I understand some of you might have confidentiality issues. Um, And how is that having a real business impact? Yeah, so from um, a broadcast perspective. So we're shown live around the world. We've, we're now into our 10th season of Formula E as a motorsport series. Um, and as part of that, we need to make our broadcast product amazing. We're competing with other major motorsport series like Formula One and things like that. So broadcast is a big thing for us and ensuring we have an appointment to view and a live audience tuning in. 
And AI makes up a big part of that and machine learning, especially, which I'll talk about in a second. But in terms of Im implementation, we're using telemetry um, and data to guide things like strategy and information appearing on the screens. And what I mean by that is like we have these 22 cars going around the track. They're basically mobile computers fitted with sensors that are picking up data constantly. And this can be transferred, and it's like a constant live stream of data coming into us. This can be transferred to our data, data hub that we have um, and effectively translated into data that's pr produced onto the, onto the screen that people are watching at home on TV. So you're able to see things like, let's talk about some examples. So uh, if someone's going to be in striking distance within a certain among, number of laps, you know, someone's closing in on someone, the second place is closing in on first place, how soon is it until that person's within striking distance to make an overtake? Battery consumption is a really big thing. So we have constant monitors on, on that, like who's overconsuming in their battery and who's not going to make it towards the end of the race. We're now actually introducing pit stops for the first time. We're into our 10th season, and that's going to be a big part of the strategy. So when do you pit in order to hopefully leapfrog some of your competitors, or when would be a bad time to pit, for example? So it's going to be predicting things like strategy, and also there's so many data points, like whether it's breaking, who's breaking the latest, cornering speeds, all of these things, there's, this is all data we're harvesting and hoping to, to show as a, an output that's easy cons to consume for the viewers. So that's like an implementation side of things. Um, the other things we're doing on broadcast is much more old school. Uh, it's the, the side I started with actually 13 years ago on the ma machine learning aspect. And this is the detection of logos. So it's, it's the old school media valuation, which I know it sounds crazy to talk about something so basic in a session something as this. but. Um, we are detecting logos literally as they're coming on screen through machine learning. So we have a company that is training, for example, one of our partners is Julius Baer or DHL or Heineken. It's detecting that logo. Once you train it to understand where to find those boards around the circuit, the, TV uh, the trackside advertising boards, it's able to pick those up automatically. So you're not having to manually track where all the exposure is for those brands. And it's such an important data point because the partners are paying, paying us millions in order to be seen on TV and to be partners with us. So they need to know how much airtime they're getting and how is that relevant to how many seconds another partner is getting. So we're giving the right share between them all. That, so that's one thing in terms of a brand detection side of thing we're doing, um, and that is literally old school machine learning, and that has probably been going for at least 30 years, but it has begun, become a lot more advanced, a lot quicker, a lot more accurate over the years. Um, and then the other aspect is is uh, we're trying to now come up with new areas of branding, for example. So we, we come up with blank space analysis, so where around the circuit have we not utilized that you could potentially put a board that would get high visibility for one of our partners. And then uh, moving away from partners and branding on track, we're looking at um, share of coverage of the teams. So of the teams, like who's on screen at that time? You know, is it a Porsche? Is it a Jaguar? And the, the machine learning aspect is able to detect the livery or the, the style of that car and say, OK, it's a Porsche on screen. It's an onboard camera. For example, it's from above the head, the camera right now, this many seconds. It's this driver, often through the color of the helmet they, they have on or the number you can see. You can tell which driver it is. So we're able to understand you know, the duration that a driver or team is on screen, um, which driver it is, the camera that's used. And that's all very powerful data in order to understand that we're giving a fair amount of coverage to all of our teams and drivers, right? They were, don't, we don't want to leave anyone out, and we want to have a justification for what we're doing and have a real science behind it. So that, from a broadcast side of things, that's how we're using AI. That's very interesting. Um, Asa? Um, yeah. I'm not sure. Can everybody hear me if I just sit back like this? Is, am I can everybody hear us? This, it's a little weird with these mics, but yeah. All okay. Right, um, so... Um, we, I, I kind of have the, these two, two roles where I'm, I'm working as a, what we call a virtual production supervisor. 
Um, and in this role, my job is as an enabler um, to work with production companies, VFX firms, anybody within the creative industries that's working at a, at a production level um, that is looking to bring these technologies into their sort of production processes. Um, now, AI is a big part of that, um, along with others. So, along with things like capture, where we're looking at um, how we actually capture 3D environments or locations or props. Um, we work a lot with technologies um, such as Unreal Engine or with the NVIDIA Omniverse um, uh, engines that are real-time 3D engines. And so there's this great crossover between sort of the, the world of production that, 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 that we operate in and then sort of using that, um, you see, I, I call it that I, I shoot data. That's what I sort of do. Um, I have a experience and quite a long experience in cinematography, um, but I've also got a very deep, deep history in computer science. So I'm an odd beast. Um, and when you bring these things together on set, you start to help people. And, and so, and a, and a big part of technology is in the sort of, um, I also have a background in, in human computer interaction, HCI. And so it's about enabling people and about, I, so, so that's a big part of what I do. The second part then is taking that as learning. And I've been very fortunate to be able to found a AI company. Um, the AI side of what we're doing is actually um, sort of, we're, we're trying to help people tell stories. Um, we believe that every single human in this room has a story. And we want you to be able to tell that story. Um, now, taking into account what you've just heard from the last presentation about um, the professional um, sort of leadership that it takes to, or, or you know, you know what you want to come out of it. Um, we're trying to create models that have that domain's expertise inside them already. So you don't have to be a cinematographer. Um, you don't have to be an author. You will be able to in, uh, sort of um, work with these tools to be able to create your own stories. Um, we're designing with Fiction GPT, it's a sort of what we call a multimodal model. Now that means that it can work in text, it can work in imagery, it can work in audio, it can work in video. And so at the moment, if you, if you go to it, it's pretty dumb as mud. Um, it works in text um, and some imagery. Um, but it, it, as time goes on, it's starting to integrate and bring forth and, 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 in, and, and pull into it um, through other AIs um, the, the, the part, the rest of the storytelling sort of um, part of the equation. So that's, that's, what I, that's, what, that's kind of what we're doing. I don't want to take too much time. So that's, that's fine. And I, I think this is interesting because we've got machine learning and, and now we're talking generative AI. And Sanjeevan, what, at ITV? Absolutely. So um, I'll give you a couple of examples, actually. So uh, in the commercial side, uh, via AdLab's team, I think the historical kind of way in which brands would buy audiences would be around an audience metric, so ABC1, CTD, 1634, so those kind of characteristics. Um, but within AdLab's, which is our commercial innovation function, um, the teams have launched what we call contextual advertising. Uh, so what we have there is an AI engine that effectively watches the content, uh, it listens to the audio file, and then it reads the subtitles. And what it then does is it identifies moments where, let's say, coffee is spoken about very positively in the first part of an episode, 
and that allows the ad team to then place a coffee advert in that first ad break. And what's really interesting there is brands are really interested in this because it, the, the connection that you have and the things like spontaneous brand recall metrics, all the classical kind of metrics you look for, is far more effective than sort of necessarily to audience targeting. So that creates a lot of innovation around what we're doing with, with brands and advertisers. For earlier on, uh, so if you think about how we are promoting our content and the customer experience when they come to ITVX, we're rolling out a recommendation and personalization service across ITVX. And that's everything around, well, how do we think about content breadth when viewers are coming in? So for example, viewers that come in to watch Love Island, how do we extend the, the sort of the content mix that they start watching, but also content depth? So it's around getting audiences across more of our content uh, and then also thinking about depth of content. So that's very much the classical kind of personalization service. Um, and then taking a step further around marketing uh, with our CMO, she's very much thinking about how do we think about promoting our shows given the number of hours of content we now have on ITVX, uh, but promoting those shows in different ways based on audience interest. So for example, the same show being promoted in very different ways to different audience groups. So that's another example that we're doing on, on, the, on the, the network or the TV side. If I go a little bit earlier on uh, in production and in, in our studios business, um, it's very much thinking around sort of the two phases of that, right? So there's the ideation phase and then the post-production phase once we've got the sort of the digital assets. So there's a lot of work in post around things like language translation, uh, vubbing, a lot of those things that we're experimenting with to understand what's the use cases there. But it's very much a creatively driven process and it's very much around a, a creative augmentation is what we see. So the, the narrative ITV is very much a co-pilot, not autopilot is the way we're thinking mm -hmm. about the sort of the opportunities of AI across our business. I think that makes a lot of sense, bringing the subject matter expertise and then what AI can do with, with that. So, Philippe, you're working with, with news. Do you want to take us through what you're doing as well? So, yeah, let's take maybe two examples, um, one about news, one about sport. Um, one about news is um, current well, classic use cases. There will be, I think it's COP28, and then Davos, which will be major event for, for, for news uh, that are in the coming months. The traditional use case is, well, you are working at Davos. Davos has like eight conferences in the same time. And um, world leaders are saying stuff that's going to change and impact the news. And when you are like watching towards these conferences, it's kind of difficult to take a step back and say, okay, Bill Gates said that, is it important or not? Well, you can just react on what has been said and not really dig on the topic. And the kind of use case we're deploying here is like, okay, this is a conference. At the end of the conference, you have a highlight and you have um, suggested insight to build stories saying, Bill Gates said that this time, one year ago he said that. Maybe it could be interesting to do a story about that. But the next step is, here's a few shots that might be relevant for your story. So that's, in five minutes after the conference, um, a producer is able to share some insights and share a rough cut with the newsroom and say, okay, um, I think we have something here, let's go. The final decision, of course, is, is the newsroom decision and it's a human decision. But this gives the capacity to uh, dig on topics that was not really possible before. So it's not about heavy lifting, it's about creativity. The second example I want to take is not about live, but more about sports and archive. The NBA, they have like 50 petabytes of archive. That's a lot. That's uh, 70 years of archive, something like that. And um, they're saying, well, um, what can I do with that? And um, the, the thing is, and NFL did the same a few months ago, is does a Gen Z 
Uh, ever felt the emotion of Magic Johnson dunking? Probably not. Gen Z was not born by the time. So what about, let's say, I want to give a new life to this archive to be able to share the emotion that was provided before to older generation. So they tried to, to do that, actually, um, creating um, NBA original channel on YouTube. The problem is, like, it's 90 minutes game on Gen Z. They're not watching a 90 minutes game. They're watching 30 seconds game. So the goal is to say, OK, um, how to have <laughs> the emotion of Magic Johnson from his 20 years of career in, like, 30 seconds? And that's a massive amount of work, and it's even even more complex when it's older uh, players that not so many known right now. So an example of uh, applying our technology here on Gen AI is build me an edit of the best moment, the best emotional moment of Magic, Magic Johnson to publish on TikTok. And um, the goal is, is to be able to do that in a very, very fast way to make sure that this archive can generate new revenues for them. That's very interesting. So we're getting a lot of questions in, and I know our next talk, our next conversation is going to be about challenges, but I think it's worth just bringing up some of these questions. Um, and they're pretty much directing them straight at each of you individually, right? So um, Asa, the question was, uh, how long currently is the length of a feature film or promo film made entirely from generative AI, and how fast is this developing over the next year? Wow, that is a good question, isn't it? I mean, um, we've just seen that, that one come out that that's, looks beautiful, and it's supposed to come out as a feature next year. Yes. The, um, the curation's the difficult part. The, um, the current models are, pr uh, they, they look fantastic. They make us think and, and you know, imagine a, a future of, of abundance and, 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 but the truth of the matter is today it's very difficult. It isn't a simple thing to do, the task that you're requesting where it is to create a, a feature film or a, a, or a um, you know, a music video. Um, the consistency is a problem. These models are very forgetful. Um, and these are the battles and challenges that we're working on within, within our company, which is to um, create these consistencies and to work with our partners on these similar problems. I think, though, all that said, six months away from today, I think we're going to be in a very, very different position. We're now starting to see, and I'm, and I'm a specialist in generative AI, so my my co-peers here have got deeper understandings of other areas. But in generative AI, um, the, these challenges are being solved very quickly. Um, and I think that, was the question how long would it take or how far is it away? Uh, how fast is it developing over the next year? Yeah, okay. So I, I think in about six months time, you will be able to get a consistent edit of shots. Um, the characters, will be difficult and it, you know it's, it's kind of moving in stages so six months time you'll be able to get consecutive shots um, within a year's time I think you're going to be able to then be directing the characters within those shots um, you can already uh, kind of um, bring together the elements of what makes up a you know a piece of content a piece of entertainment in regards to its audio its spoken word I mean, for, it, it all starts with words. Words is the new language of, of compute. Yeah. Um, 
and it, creation. It, indeed. Yeah. So this is this this is where it's you know. Um, yeah. This kind of ties into the next question that's been upvoted by like the most people, which is, can anybody on the panel talk about what systems and tools you're using? Are they proprietary or available? This seems to be five people are very curious about this. I, I mean, I would, so there are various levels like everything. It's like when the internet appeared, you know, you've got some people who were creating the servers, laying down the cables and building the sort of infrastructure side of things. Now I'm going to assume because of this, this audience that we're not in that kind of audience. So I'm not gonna get into those tools of low, you know, low level um, foundational things. I, I think that the, the sort of tools that you should be looking at um, are going to be, yes, have a play with mid-journey, it is samey. It's not going to create you much originality. It will, it will bore you after a time, but it will teach you how to talk and how to communicate with a model. And that's the important part. Because then once you've understood how to actually commune with a model, you can then move that knowledge and, and move to other models. So I think, um, you know, Yes, definitely play with ChatGPT. I mean, that's your, your new product. Which one? Fiction, Fiction GPT. Fiction GPT. Fiction GPT. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm terrible at banging out my own product. Okay, so he's just <laughs> launched Fiction GPT. <laughs> yeah, okay. so Fiction GPT, what, we're, what you will find there is a kind of story um, generator at the moment, which looks to actually, it's built on a, on a corpus of information around genres, about characters. And it's in its in its it will help you to sort of um, create an adventure. That's the start of it. But as I say, I think you should be I think you should be playing with a wider breadth of tools. Yeah. Definitely get into Runway, Runway ML. Um, yeah, that's the one that's being used for a lot of the yes. creating video for films. Yes, yeah. indeed. Okay. And now they've just included a a brilliant new um, feature, which is quite uh, kind of inspiring. So what you can now do is you can generate a picture of a waterfall and you can actually draw over the water and it will then just animate just the water. And it, and it does really work very well. So this whole interaction with the imagery is going to be your new interface. So the language of the, the our language is in our human language for asking for what you want. But then you're actually going to immerse yourself into those creations that it gives you and direct the, direct the action and direct the animation inside it. It's fantastic. So, so these are a lot more of the ones that are out there, the public ones that are out there. Yes. Philippe, yours is proprietary? Yes. Yeah, so um, we've um, released this year um, our new model called MXT1. Um, MXT1 is, is uh, a multimodal generative AI that is relying on a lot of different foundation models. So I think the, the question, what, which kind of model are you using? I think we're using more than 20 different models for this, for this same, just MXT1 prepackage. It's like, you know, ChatGPT is not just one model. It's, it's like 10 or 15 different models. What we differentiate is um, expert AI systems that are very low cost, that are very efficient, and that can be trained. Um, expert system rule the world today. Like when you're writing on a letter, the address of the, of, the, of, of, the, of, of the letter, this is OCR. OCR is working very well, and actually it's very cheap. 
if you're doing OCR in ChatGPT, it will be very expensive. Well, it's covered by your subscription, but anyway. So we're mixing um, expert AI systems that can be trained by the user that are very low cost with advanced LLM system that can merge um, all this uh, results we have from AI expert system into a vector that can be then transformed into text or into video. The, the thing we need to have in mind about that is um, cost. Runway ML is a good example. Runway ML is quite impressive, and that's really impressive. But think about the amount of energy you need to do that. That's crazy, and, and they can achieve that because they are working frame by frame. In some use case, you can afford that for advertisement, for sure, for fiction, for sure. But when you are working in other fields, when you are a content creator, you cannot spend $1,000 to, to build a three-minute video. That's too expensive. So you need a combination of uh, traditional AI expert systems that are very low cost with a small bits of LLM that can work together. On about LLMs, we are using three different LLMs to achieve the thing on, on fine-tuned LLM most of the time. So uh, it's about choosing the good technology, not just in terms of quality, but also in terms of price. And when you're working in like thousands of hours of video, you need to choose wisely your technology, otherwise you will pay AWS or Azure a tons of money, uh, and, and that's, that's a wise decision to take. Sanjeevan, I'm going to just ask you to elaborate a bit about what you are using or if you're partnering, but someone has also, also specifically asked you a question, um, and that's can you foresee contextual ads influencing scripting in terms of product placement, purposely writing in coffee or cars in order to monetize? I'll take that one first. So there's, there are, there's a very clear separation, right? So we're very creatively editorially driven, right? So it's, it's a creative, we're a creative producer distributor is, is the narrative. So, so I think, so what drives the organization is the creativity. The, the commercial side is then sort of, it has to fit within that picture as it were. So I, I don't think it will go the other way around. It's more like the way we have it at the moment. Um, in terms of the tooling, so I think, I think we see the market sort of broadly in, in two halves, right? I think there's uh, what we describe as the sort of the teenage consumerism, a lot of these products, right? So they're all solving kind of vertical problems. So you've got all these things that are software as a service, um, quite inexpensive to use, uh, and it's easy to onboard, but they, they solve vertical problems. So it's text, it's imagery, et cetera. Our reality is we have horizontal workflows, right? So we have you know, digital asset management systems, we have content management systems. And when we're creating content, it has to go through those horizontal workflows. So it's really challenging to kind of pull things in and out of our systems to kind of use some of these um, sort of consumer-grade tools. At the other end of the spectrum, uh, where we're using things like Adobe Creative Suite, so this is the, the point earlier, where creative teams are already used to using creative technologies and tools, like the uh, Adobe Creative Suite, for example. What we're seeing there is they're launching and extending out their capability horizontally to then provide more enterprise-grade solutions. So you've already got creators that are used to using the tooling that they're then extending out. So we think, at the moment, we're, we're definitely sort of partnering and using a lot of what's available, but I think we're seeing there's still a bit more work to be done to kind of make those things sort of much more uh, enterprise-ready, um, and I think that's the phase we're kind of moving into next. That's great. Connor, um, also just a bit on tools, but you can ask another specific question, which is with the number of cameras on your vehicles, are you investigating the ability for presenters or consumers to generate synthetic novel views? Wow. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, so actually, we did do something on this. It was around, I, I guess this is linked to it. I'm trying to, because I'm, 
I'm not so tech-centric on things like that, but I'm just trying to think. So we did a few years ago when we were implementing our eSports Accelerate product, we were allowing people to race alongside the, the real Formula E cars as they were shown on TV. So through, through your own uh, way of joining in, you could basically have your own angle of watching the race and joining in and racing alongside. Obviously, there's no interaction between you and the cars. Obviously, you just drive through them, you're ghosting through them, things like this. But that was a, a viewpoint that you could be sitting at track level viewing the racing action at uh, that sense. So that's a kind of a different angle of it rather than the traditional camera angles of onboard or trackside cameras or helicopter or things like that. That was one way. Uh, that we were doing it, but we're not quite as advanced in the sense that like with F1 have the ability for you to ride on board with any camera angle and choose all things like that. We're not quite there yet with our consumer product of allowing that to happen, but we did get there quite early with the, the eSports side of things of basically allowing you to drive alongside the cars while they were racing. And is everything you do proprietary? Uh, so if we're talking about the tools, the machine learning tools, yeah. those are available with a lot of the research companies. So like the, the detection of the logos, for example, you can use many companies. We, we used to use a company called Futures. We're now moving to Kantar. There's Nielsen, who I used to work for for 10 years, that used to do this analysis as well. There's a company called Relo Metrics, SMG Gov. There's loads. They all have their own system they've developed for detecting logos. And you can just tap into that when you, when you buy into a service with them. They each have their own methodology for that. You know, there's a different threshold for de detecting logos or uh, when, it, when it has a threshold for picking up a driver on screen, is it clear enough? A lot of that is about the quality of the footage you obviously ingest for that. But um, yeah, it, it, it's not proprietary formally. We're buying into other companies that are providing on that front, for sure. That's great. So we're just going to come back. Uh, we've got about 10 minutes left. So we're going to come back briefly to the question of challenges. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'd like to try to get some of the, more of these, so if you can just spend a really yep. quick thing. What challenges have you faced and hopefully overcome? Yeah, so I guess one of the things that keeps me employed is that the machine learning stuff isn't perfect in the sense that the one thing it cannot do after all these years of trying to get it to do so is that it doesn't understand the asset that it's on. So if we're taking the branding, it knows it's DHL or Heineken, but it doesn't know that that's an overtrack board versus a static board on the side of the track or a brake marker or this, There's, if it's a zoomed in shot, only kind of that human knowledge is able to tell what type of board it is in context of the circuit, for example. So that's what keeps me at least in a job at the moment, so that uh, that aspect is not quite there well trained. Then uh, the other challenges we have is that that's the analysis side of things. If we go back to what I said about the implementation on broadcast, where it's coming up with strategy and things like recommendations on when drivers should be pitting um, on other data like that, what it doesn't account for is that obviously AI is very good at the task, it's not good at the job of understanding what, it, what uh, human error can come into this. So if it recommends a driver to be pitting now or to be going for an overtake, it can't account for the fact there might be a bit of human error involved in that driving, for example. Someone could make a mistake at one of the turns, there could be weather causing an issue, um, other things like this. And one of the other parts that's been a challenge, and we've seen this across the motorsport industry as a whole, is, and F1 have fallen foul of this, as well as all the motorsport series, is when it's trying to understand tire wear, for example, it's assuming that because a driver's gone very fast and there's a lot of thermal degradation on the tires, and we have sensors there that, okay, this driver's probably got about 10% of their tires left before they let go, and they're about to either blow up entirely, or they're gonna have to pit, or box, as they call it, in order to, to put new ones in. But what it can't understand is if a driver's done very well at managing those, and actually they've managed to get through a cycle of degradation and their tires are okay. So often what you see is, is that it says they're about to let go and they manage to go another 50 laps, you know, or something like that. So 
there are areas where the human side of thing is not managed to account for the fact that a driver has managed to get around the problem or there's a mistake involved in the driving side of things. So they're, they're the aspects, I guess, that means the commentators also have jobs because they're able to live commentate on what they're seeing rather than letting the data deal with the storytelling for them on screen, like that, that aspect of things. But they're, they're the sort of challenges with the tools, at least. Got it. Asa, I'm, and I'm also going to throw something else at you because 10 people want to know this. <laughs> um, is the story, if a story is generated on fiction GPT, who owns the IP of the final product? Oh, wow. And then, and then what challenge, you know, any challenges you're facing? All right, we're, we're a bit odd. Um, we have a lot of deep thoughts about this sort of area. Um, first of all, um, baileyai.org is a non-profit organization. Um, that's fundamentally because we believe we've got a long way to go. Um, the, who owns the, the, the story? Um, uh, this, this, from our perspective, is the creation of whoever creates it and is the ownership of whoever creates it. I think ownership needs re-looking re at, in general, where we're heading. Um, you'll be dealing with what our aim is to actually build what we call an alien intelligence, um, whereby this, the GPT and its friends, its, its models, externally um, are working in unison to create, to, to give you an intelligence um, that you're actually working with. Um, so do we take any ownership in the creations of from fiction GPT? No, we don't. Um, they're purely for you, purely for your enjoyment. Great, yeah, and I guess that's all of this thinking through all of that is one of the challenges of working uh, with Yeah, I mean, okay, back yeah. to the challenge. Accessibility as being the biggest challenge. Um, for being able to create these models. It's um, been a really interesting journey. Um, primarily, in the beginning, if you take sort of, um, for instance, um, we keep mentioning our master model of chat GPT, um, that you know, was raised in 13 billion last year. Um, whereas fiction GPT can raise in the tens of millions, which it has and do its job. Um, and that's because now what you're starting to see is the race for individuals sort of like my, my AI is better than your AI is kind of already out of the, is, you know, it's already out of the, out of the blocks. Um, and so you're getting now this sort of, I can only analogy it to sort of um, web. Um, it's like choosing a host. Um, it's, it, it's working with a platform that will support and meet your goals. For instance, we didn't have the, legis the, the, the resources to get into the legisl legislative areas as to where um, what we were creating and everything. And this was one of the benefits with, with ChatGPT was the fact that it underwrites all of our, all of our legal um, side of things, and, that's and really it's all good, about this really accessibility. Otherwise, yes. you would anybody in this room wanting to actually get into the business of AI would need, you know, today multiple billions of dollars. Yeah, very good point, Sanjeevan. Two very quick ones for me. Um, so the first is this space is moving ridiculously fast. Um, so we set up a team that are constantly horizon scanning to understand the new developments, and they sort of translate that and then bring that into the organization. And then we assess what does that mean for us and our strategy, and where do we then think about deploying. And then the second one is around 
uh, we, we set up and we were concerned about responsible use of AI. So we have a, a, a governance function that effectively is set out a set of principles around responsible use, and that very much aligns to our ethics principles, and that's how we think about governing. So it's a classic thing, just because you can doesn't mean you should, and that's how we're starting to sort of assess and evaluate uh, and drive this through. Good points. Philippe? Um, maybe one, one challenge like we, we have, and it's, it's not about the tech side, because this is one well, challenging techniques is, is uh, technologies is why we exist. But it's more like a, as a tech vendor or AI vendor, um, the evaluation process for customer is radically new. Um, when you used to work with traditional AI is, okay, this is my ground truth. How close are your AI to what my human operators are doing? And most of the time, it's like 90% close to what they're doing. We, we run some testing. Um, about SEO description to publish on YouTube. And uh, we had uh, an issue with like, well, actually the ground truth is not good. So that means the AI is better, but how far it is better? And, and then it's, it's became complex to kind of evaluate um, AI compared to human, because in some example, and many will be uh, true uh, next year, is AI will perform better than human. So. Uh, what will be the new comparison and the new standard to evaluate uh, the, the values that can bring an AI? And I think um, on the procurement process, <laughs> this, this, is, this is a bit different and it's, it's a new approach. And I think we have the same challenging regarding um, legal issue. And uh, when uh, we, we are working on a deal for a very, very big company, and especially those in the US, um, there's a kind of um, a fear about Gen AI and about copyrights. And there's one very famous on, 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 uh, in LA, I won't name it, but they have kind of a generative AI council. <laughs> and, and so they need to understand what you're already doing to green light and to make sure we can even just run a POC, you know, just a trial. And, uh, and uh, there's uh, maybe um, a lack of training of legal teams to make sure and, and have discernment and make sure, okay, is this, is this a danger for our strategy or not? And actually the problem is like far above than that is what do I'm okay to do with my IP? Uh, am I okay for a tech vendor to use my IP for me? Yes or not? Is, it, is there a risk that he uses for um, other customer, for example? And this is kind of um, a new discussion we had six, six, month, six, six last months is, is about able to kind of train um, procurement team to say, no, there's no risk. Look, it's limited to that. But the technology is going so fast now that legal team on, on, on procurement team uh, needs to be aware of what's possible and what the risks are. And I think okay. that's, that's really one of the challenge, but that's normal. It's new technology. All right. We have 30 seconds left, and you all are going to give me a couple of words on what's happening for the future. Cool. Uh, Future predict quickly. Well, using <laughs> using AI in order to make uh, the driver strategies better for the race. So we've just recently done it for an indoor land speed record to drive in a straight line quicker, but how about using it in order to drive the lap quicker? Okay, next. Um, Personalised content in general. Great, okay. Uh, Sanjeevan? Hyper productivity in a collective sense versus individual. Emotion. Uh, content with way more emotion than before. Excellent. Thank you so much. Please thank my panel. They're excellent.
Many thanks for listening to today's episode of the Broadcast Tech Talks podcast. Please like and subscribe and we'll see you on the next one.